Great job as always, Bert and uh, Robin. Great job. Good morning to all of you. You all, a lot of you look very Christmassy today, and that's uh, that's good. That's good. We're getting near that time. All right, you should be at. Uh, if you could turn your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter three, verse one. We started a new chapter, uh, the last chapter, the final chapter of Habakkuk, and uh, last week. And uh, today we're going to finish off uh, Habakkuk three two. In the first session, we're, we're going to talk about the three rec- uh, prayer requests that uh, Habakkuk makes to the Lord God of Israel. And then what we're going to do in the second session is very important because in verses 3 through 15, as I've been telling you, uh, is, a, is a, what we call a divine warrior psalm. And it's actually an excellent book I read into uh, about the divine warrior uh, doctrine that's in the Bible from cover to cover. So... Uh, they, it's a great book, and I can't remember the author's name. I think it's Longnecker or something like that. Um, but anyways, in verses 3 to 15, what I want to do is, before we start going verse by verse through that passage, this, it, we're going to determine uh, if it is prophetic, historical, or both. Now, you might be saying, why? Well, there's a lot of conje- conjecture. Even the translations uh, uh, they have a little, there's a difference in the translations. Like if you read the NIV compared to, and I'll point this out in the second session, you read the NIV and you read the Net Bible, for instance. Um, what they, they, they translate it, you might not even notice it, but you can see that they look at it, the NIV looks more historical, whereas the, the Net Bible and myself, we look at it as more future, something that's going to happen in the future. So I'm going to go through the reasons why I believe that uh, it is it's speaking of it's prophetic, and it, but it's also alluding to certain events that have happened in the past, the mighty events, the mighty, the mighty acts of God in the past in the Old Testament. So I'm going to give you my reasons why. So uh, when I do that as well, because one of the things I've always tried to teach my congregations throughout the years, and it's not always stuck, and um, is uh, is that you know just because I, I, when I I like to exp- you know there's, when there's different passages that are difficult in the Bible. I either pass over it, or they just give their interpretation, and then, you know, th- th- when there's others that are out there that uh, could be out there that people are aware of, and they're not giving their explanation why they think this is the correct interpretation. I've always been wanted to tell you why I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting it this way, and it's not because uh, there's certain hermeneutical pr- principles but uh, that you need to uh, apply as every interpreter, but you as well, I'm teaching you how to interpret as well, uh, when I go through it, you'll see I'm just I, I'm, not, I'm not going back to the original language so much. I, although I'll, I'll allude to certain things in the original language, uh, but I'm going to show you through. Just look at your own translation. You can determine from uh, from your own English text, the NIV, uh, verses three through fifteen. You can see you can determine for yourself if it's eschatological or if it's all historical, or is it a little bit of both? You, without even looking at without even having to look at the original languages, which I will allude to at some point. So uh, again, I, I believe that God gave us a mind. You're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, this is where a lot of people, a lot of Christians, they, I call it the dumbing down of Christianity. A lot of guys are talking about it. And it's been going on for, for a while now, probably 40, 50 years. But, you know, when you come to church, some people know it's just time to just emote or, you know... Um, you know, feel good about myself or whatever, you know, it's like, and I don't want to go, I'm going to go veg out, okay, like I'm watching TV or Netflix, right? No, God wants, God wants your whole, love him with your whole mind, soul, and heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Heart, mind, soul, all up here in the head. Very important. And that's related to your emotions, but emotions can't think, you got to think, and then the doctrine in your soul, you can emote to that, that's, that's, that's nothing wrong with that. So this is what we'll be looking at here in the two sessions, and I apologize uh, that uh, my, for my voice, I'm just getting over some weird thing. Probably got it from one of those kids back there or whatever. I don't know. That's why I don't have kids because they just give you colds, you know. Oh man, it was brutal. Like, I, I, I didn't, I didn't teach for Western Bible Ministries yesterday. I was like, I got two sessions to do tomorrow. I was like, eh, I can take, I can, I, put, I teach more than anybody else anyway. So if I take a day, uh, big deal. They, they'll, they'll be fine. They can just look at all the backlog of the stuff I got. So, but uh, so I'm I, actually this is. Uh, today, uh, the doctor said, well, you should, by, by Saturday or Sunday, you should be okay. And I, it was around Saturday or Sunday, I started actually feeling decent. And, you know, myself, I actually could sleep the last two nights. But whatever it is, it's nasty. I think 
I talked to some people around here, and it went just what they that they were telling me that they had. Well, guess what? I got I got what they had. So that's why I, if I don't want to shake hands with you, you know, I think I'm past the passing it on thing. Okay? But I, when Pastor Pete comes up to me and Gail's like, oh, I don't know, if, or Bert, I was like, I don't know if I want to shake your hand. I don't want to give it to you. You know, it's like maybe get a glove on before you shake hands with me. So anyway, so and if you're in the front row and I'm slurping and spitting and all that, getting excited, you're, you're in deep trouble. All right, so. So let's say a prayer that I can, I can make it through without, uh, you know, hopefully I don't choke to death on the cough drop. Can you imagine that? The pastor dies at, uh, at Doctrine of Bible Church in Huntsville because he, he's choked on a lozenger. <laughs> All right. All right, let's take a moment of silent prayer. And, uh, oh, also, by the way, before I get going here, uh, let's see. Um, we have no class. Well, we got the Christmas party coming up uh, this Friday. What time is that again, guys? 6.30. 6.30, okay. 6.30. And also, um, we have our last class before the Christmas break is the, uh, the, the, when, uh, the 20th, Wednesday. And, but we don't have class Christmas Eve, December 24th, and Wednesday, December 27th. But we will have a Christmas Eve service uh, here on the 31st. On, it's in the morning, not at night, okay? So, and we'll wreck your, wreck your plans. So that, uh, then we'll also have the Lord's Supper at that time as well. We didn't have it last week, so... We're bumping it down to New Year's Eve service. So that should be fun to do. And uh, I think that's about it for the announcements. Let's take a moment of silent prayer. I look around, you all know what to do. Say as many words as I can so I can get through. All right, let's take a moment of silent prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, for the grace, the faith, the salvation. Your work on our behalf in eternity past, the person and work of your Son on the cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. We thank you, Father, for the freedoms that we have in our country. We thank you for our, our military and political leaders. I pray that you give them the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this country. And I also pray, Father, for you would raise up in individuals in all areas of our government, military, covert operations, or whatnot, uh, that have establishment principles, or even, in fact, believers and mature believers, that would be great to influence policy. And we know from the Old Testament that uh, guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they affected policy in the foreign powers that they were uh, uh, enslaved to back uh, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. So I just uh, pray, Father, for that. I pray you would impress upon your people, the body of Christ, the church, which uh, each one sits at your right hand with your son and union with them to pray for their leaders and in order that we might live a tranquil, quiet life, as your word says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, and also because you desire all people to be saved. I also thank you for this, this uh, congregation, the people you've raised up here in Huntsville and uh, that you've... Uh, raised up and have asked me to be their pastor, and thank you for the great honor and privilege of being the pastor of this church. And I just uh, pray, Father, that you do a mighty work to all of us here today. And thank you for each person in the audience, and I pray that the Spirit would help each person in the audience to learn, understand, and apply what they're being taught. To concentrate, please break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening. I also pray that you would empower me and your word says, when we're weak, we're strong. Your power is manifested in our human weakness. So, Lord, it's one of those times I need to talk today. So <laughs> please help me to do this and to do so where it's uh, not a distraction to your people. And I just pray, Father, work mightily and powerfully through me to communicate your full counsel to your people with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power. So your people can receive the necessary spiritual nourishment and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen. You should be at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll be looking at the rest of verse 2, the three prayer requests in verse 2, which are fantastic prayer requests, which we'll see were actually fulfilled 
in the Old Testament. We saw that in, in the contemporary setting of Habakkuk, each one of these prayer requests were fulfilled in the lives of people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, uh, and also uh, people like uh, Jeremiah and, uh, and uh, you know, Esther and Mordecai and their lives as well. So we're going to see that what he asked here is actually an intercessory prayer request for the faithful remnant of Judah in the 7th century B.C. who are going to suffer by association with the apostate citizens of their country, which is the reason why God's bringing in the Babylonians, as we pointed out. So we have, in, it says in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shagayanoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, O oh Lord, he says, renew them in our day and our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman. Now here's the divine warrior song. And notice there's no and or now or but between verse 2 and verse 3. It just goes, God came from Teman. Well, that's the figure of a syndeton. No connective word between verse 2 and 3. And the reason why the writer does that is two things. One, he's marking, one for emphasis, but the other thing is he's really marking the transition in the chapter. So now he's switching to something else. All right, this is why he's using the figure. So that's why it looks so abrupt. So he says in verse 3, and this is a fantastic passage we're going to look at it in great detail. We'll look at it today, but we'll look at it in greater detail uh, in um, next Sunday. It's actually, this, a lot of this chapter, you can track the movements of the Lord Jesus Christ at his second advent when he starts the kingdom. So it says in verse 3, God came from Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. Salah, his glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, and pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth, and he looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You, cut your un you uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. Salah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you in rivers. Torrents, torrents of water swept by, and the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sudden moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode the through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot, Salah, as we'll see when we get to it, and we'll touch upon it today. That's a reference to the execution of the Antichrist by the Lord himself. Then it says in verse 14, continuing to talk about that, with his own spear you pierced his head. When warriors formed, stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who are in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Now, that's the end of the psalm. Now we go to Habakkuk, now expressing his faith. And because, remember what he's doing, what's going on. He knows Babylon is about to invade them. It's on the eve of their destruction as a nation. And for 70 years they'll be in Babylon. So now, he's got to walk by faith. Remember, he, was, he said in Habakkuk 2.4, and we'll touch upon it again today, that the, the faithful remnant, in spite of the danger coming and the tre tremendous uh, national crisis uh, that's going to dispossess the nation, he's saying, you know, Yo, I must have faith in what I'm teaching you here. And in particular, the revelation that's in this chapter. Uh, yes, Babylon will be used by God to destroy the, the southern kingdom of Judah uh, and, dis and, and discipline the apostasy in that nation. But we see that he's also going to destroy Babylon. And he did so 66 years later uh, with the Medo-Persian army and its, uh, and its uh, coalition of nations that came with it. That's very important. So now he knows this is coming. And now look what he says. And this is very important to us. It talks about rejoicing and suffering. You might, today, in the world today, people say, what are you, a masochist or something? What are you, rejoice in suffering? You've got to understand there's a purpose for suffering. Only Christianity, only Christianity has an answer for suffering. They're the only ones. Not Buddhism, not Islam. Nobody understands suffering like the Bible does. Of course, because God uses suffering to further his kingdom. In fact, his son, in his weakness, 
He demonstrated his great power and he defeated the works of the devil in weakness at the cross. So that's why we rejoice because God, when we go through various things, trials and tribulations, and many of you are going, going through sicknesses, serious sicknesses, you know, and you have uh, problems in your job or you lost a job, whatever's going on in your life, whatever difficulty you're having, problem with a child or whatever it is, you know you can rejoice in the fact that God is, God is there and he's using you and he's, he's, you're glorifying him because you're, you're using his power which is in his word, which is live and powerful, and you're using his word, and people are seeing you handle your adversity with the word of God, and your faith in God's word appropriates the omnipotence of God so that you can glorify God, because glorifying God is manifesting him in his attributes, one or more. So you're manifesting his great power, and also you're manifesting his great love. So it says, I heard, and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. See, basically saying, I will wait in faith when God fulfills this prophecy to destroy Babylon after she's destroyed us. Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. You know, you know you've gone into the depths of spiritual maturity when you could lose everything, don't have anything, and still be happy and rejoice in God. That's when you know you've arrived and you're, grown, you're in that area, that rarefied area, where you could be rejoicing in God even though... Everything that you, everything the world values or considers a marks of success, you don't have. That's when you know you've got there. Because that's what Paul went through. Um, we went out and he says, I, I, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I've been. And he came from a rich family. His father was another one. His father was a Pharisee. They were wealthy. So he talked about being, being hungry, not having any money. Then he talks about being full and having enough. Having a roof over his head and not having a roof over his head. I mean, 2 Corinthians 4, one of the most ma magnificent chapters, talks about his suffering. But he could rejoice despite the trials and tribulations that he was going through. And he knew why he rejoiced, because he knows, I have my relationship with God. You can't take that away from me. You could take my life. You, can, you still can't take away my relationship with God, because then I'll be absent from the body face to face with the Lord if you take my life. When you get to the point where you realize the most important thing that you have in life is your relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and your union with Jesus Christ, you're getting somewhere. You're getting somewhere. Because that's all that really matters at the end of life. All these things that we have, these wonderful blessings in our country, are transitory. We'll be taken away from them or they'll be taken away from us. Don't fall in love with the things of the world, right? So if you do, yes, that makes it difficult when you lose things, like a job. Or, or whatever, a relationship. So you got to put your priorities first, and that's when you're avoiding idolatry and putting your eggs in one basket with the Lord. You will not, he will never let you fail. Your idols will fail you. They always do. So then it says in verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go on the heights. This is, he says, for the director of music on my string instruments. We, it looks like he was a Levitical priest. We saw this in the first chapter in our introduction. Uh, and, and because of what he's saying here. So he was probably a musician. Because these are the lyrics. We don't know the music. It doesn't really matter. But the lyrics are there for us to, 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 uh, to enjoy. And it just tells you something about, that. not that God doesn't like the style of music, although I heard God doesn't like rap. He told me in a dream the other day. <laughs> But he loves rock and roll. <laughs> I get to heaven and go, no, Bill, it was all right. You know. But so what we see here is that, excuse me one second. So it's not, the, it's not the style of music. It's the lyrics that really are good. The style of music are good. Depends on, you know, you, you can, whatever how, way you want to express it. But at the end of the day, the lyrics are important. So in other words, one of the things I like, I love about Bert when he came in here was like, 
we're doing these hymns. I've always wanted to have a guy who does hymns or a woman because I find the, the young crowd, my, my generation, they don't want to listen to the old hymns. They're, a lot of them were very doctrinal. Yeah, they, they had lousy lyrics, some of them, but some, a lot of the contemporary music does too. So you got to have a balance. So I don't think that's part of our heritage. So we, I, the great thing about this, we got it here. We got that, and then you can listen to my contemporary stuff, and anybody else who wants to sing their stuff or whatever, great. But it's, we, you want to have a balance. Lyrics, and he always talks about the lyrics, okay? And he chooses his songs, and he takes, takes out certain verses because of the lyrics, okay? So that's very important. See, the early church, they taught with te teachings, and they taught the Word of God through music. When we go to Colossians 3.16 someday, that's exactly what he's talking about, you know? Singing hymns and songs to each other? Come on, that's teaching. So that's why when I write lyrics, I mean, you listen to some of my songs and say, he's lifted that right out of the Bible. Yeah. Keep singing the things above is one of my songs. So the reason why I do that is because I'm trying to teach you the Bible with my music. I'm not trying to, you know, write something really original lyrically. No. <laughs> this is all I want to do. I want to communicate the word of God and I'll do it with my music. So that's telling us God values the lyrics. The music's great, but if the music, if it doesn't have the appropriate lyrics, it's out of here. So, as you, as you can see, in your, look at uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2 now. In your translation, it's our verse. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, look at my translation of verse 2. The prop, uh, verses 1 and 2, excuse me. The prophet Habakkuk's prayer in accordance with Shagayanoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. Lord, I stand in awe of your accomplishments. Then we have the request. Please, would you cause them to be experienced during our lifetime? Please, would you cause them to be known during our lifetime? Please, would you remember to exercise compassion during our lifetime while I exercise righteous indignation. Now, verse 2, as we can see, and your translation and mine, contains two declarative statements which are followed by three prayer requests. And this is what the prophet Habakkuk presents to the Lord on behalf of himself and the nation of Judah, the faithful remnant. Okay? So he's interceding for them. And as I'll see, I'll show you, these prayer requests were fulfilled in his lifetime. Now, in the first prayer request, we see Habakkuk asked the Lord to cause his awesome deeds or accomplishments in the past or manifestations of his omnipotence in the past on behalf of Israel to be experienced during the lifetime of the faithful remnant of Judah living at the end of the 7th century B.C., which Habakkuk was a part of. The second request, we see, asked the Lord to cause these accomplishments on behalf of Israel in the past or manifestations of his omnipotence in the past on behalf of Israel, to be made known during the lifetime of the faithful remnant of Judah. So, in other words, God wants to show me your power again. We're going to need it as we go through this adversity as a nation. So the deeds, <coughs> the deeds on behalf of the nation of Israel in the past, which manifested the Lord's omnipotence, would of course include his mighty deliverance of the nation of Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt and Pharaoh. Now, the prophet would definitely have in mind the ten plagues that the Lord administered to Pharaoh during, uh, uh, through uh, Pharaoh in Egypt through Moses. Now, the third and final request, here in verse 2, request that the Lord would remember to exercise compassion during the lifetime of this faithful remnant, while he exercised, at the same time, his righteous indignation, his wrath, against the, the unrepentant apostate citizens of Judah, who are in a covenant relationship with him as well. So this righteous indignation, people, speaks of the Lord's legitimate anger towards the unrepentant apostate citizens of the southern kingdom of Judah at the end of the 7th century B.C., who were in a covenant relationship with him. So God, when he gets, when he gets angry at us as his children, now see, the thing is, when God disciplines us from his, you know, he, he doesn't, uh, we, God does not discipline him personally discipline the unbeliever. He disciplines us because we're his children. The devil's children, it's up for grabs. The devil does whatever he wants with them. But we see here that while God is disciplining the apostate citizens of his nation with Babylon, he's saying, give us compassion, Lord, us who are faithful. And of course, the Lord is going to answer that. And this is very important. 
when it comes to prayer, there's a lot of misunderstanding about prayer and everything. Look, prayer has to be, first and foremost, according to the Father's will. Where do you find the Father's will? In God's word. God reveals to you his will. Now, what about certain choosing a job? Is that in the Bible? Well, there's certain, marrying somebody, okay? Well, let's take marriage. It's an easy one. When you choose a job or choose a wife or a husband, you're not, as a believer, you're not to be unequally yoked. It has to be a believer. But here's another thing that people fail sight of. You want somebody who's positive to the word of God because there are a lot of people who are Christians that are not they're dedicated to the word of God. So you want to get involved, because I know Christians who are married for years and then one's positive and the other one's in the negative. So you, I always say that to people. Well, okay, that's good, they're a believer, but I would check, make sure it's over time, see if they're really positive to the word of God. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in, in, in doing that and, fi and figuring that out. And so, so therefore, why? Because now I just gave you principles that are taught in the word of God and I showed you how you apply it to choosing a mate, okay? And so uh, this is very important. So you learn God's word. The spirit teaches us the Father's will. Well, ultimately, for us, it's to, to become like Christ. And there's other aspects of God's will that are related to that. You know, you give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always, okay? There's all kinds of different things in Scripture that are, you know, you, what's your, uh, we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, in sanctification, what's the will of the Father? That we experience our sanctification by avoiding sexual immorality, okay? So you learn, so if you ask something from God and you're out of fellowship, he's not going to answer, he's not going to listen to you. You've got to be in fellowship with him. Otherwise, you can sit there and talk all you want, but it's not getting fur any further because you are disrespecting him. You're out of fellowship. Confess your sin. So you pray according to his will. And, listen to me, when you pray according to his will, that can and will many times solve problems. You know, what Colonel Deem said, you know, prayer doesn't solve problems. He's talking in the passage of 2 Corinthians 12. Paul, he had, he had the, uh, the uh, thorn in the flesh. He had a thorn in the flesh. And he asked three times, Lord, d d d deliver me from it. Now, Paul had a problem with it, a physical problem, okay? And God said no to him. So prayer doesn't always answer, solve problems. It always solves problems when it's according to the will of God, okay? So very important we understand that. So when he, remember when he, in context when he said that. So, and the reason why he didn't put in the problem-solving devices is because it's not an axiom. He's trying to give you, he's trying to give you axioms that are true all the time. So you gotta that, keep that in mind. Now, listen to me. Prayer, always make it a daily habit. Now, when you talk about prayer, it should be an ongoing conversation with God during the day. I'm talking to God all the time. You could be seeing me driving by in a car, and who the heck is Bill Wenchkin talking to? Pastor Bill's like, look, he looks like he's a nut. I mean, I look like one of these guys down the street, and they're talking to themselves, and maybe they're talking to God, I don't know, but usually they're on drugs, some of them, or alcohol abuse, right? But you'll see me talking to me like, you ever do that, you're talking to, you're talking to yourself, I do that too. When you live with yourself, by yourself, guess what, you talk to yourself, and nobody ever talks back. Even Alexa's starting to talk back to me now, you know, so I have to say, see you later, Alexa. So I'm sitting there, and I'll, I'll talk to God all day. He's, he's my best friend, but he's my God, he's holy. I'm not familiar with him, but I, you know, I talk, pour out your heart to God, whatever's bothering you, you know? You're angry about something. Good friend of mine told me a long time ago, God's got big shoulders, let him have it, and oh, I do. So God, if prayer is an ongoing conversation. It should be sanctified time alone with God every day. Now, when your church meets, meets if you can, get to, Bible, uh, get to Bible class and get into the church meetings of church prayer groups because that's another aspect of our responsibility is corporate prayer. So we have our corporate prayer on Wednesdays at 6, at six o'clock. So it's not, it's not forever. We go boom, boom, boom. There's nobody sitting there telling them, you know, their prayer for about a half hour. No, that doesn't happen. Won't let it happen. Craig won't let it happen anyways. I didn't have to say anything. Craig was like, hey, we went right to the next, what next thing we're going to talk about now. Okay, so don't worry about it. Nobody's going to dominate the conversation. I just introduce the thing, get going, boom, here we go. And Kurt goes through the list, and we hand it over to anybody else who wants to talk. Very important. Prayer is related to the Word of God. The great prayer warriors know Bible doctrine. The great prayer warriors know the Word of God. Because that's the material that gives, God gives us to pray. Father, not my will, 
but yours be done. Sometimes God brings us into situations that are his will that are going to be difficult. You know, sometimes God wants you to go to a certain situation. It's going to be a test. It's not always going to be, oh, you know, you know this is God's will because I went to a, a good place and, and there's no problems and everything, blah, blah, blah. That might not be God's will for you. God's will might be in a difficult situation. So we have here that in this third request, the prophet Habakkuk presented to the Lord God of Israel on behalf of himself and the faithful women of Judah is the direct result of the revelation that he received from God that we see in the first two chapters. And so we noted that the Lord informs Habakkuk that he was about to discipline the unrepentant apostate citizens of Judah through the mighty Babylonian army, verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1. Thus, we can understand why the prophet requested that the Lord demonstrate compassion towards the faithful remnant in Judah, while at the same time, simultaneously, he exercised his wrath, his righteous indignation against these apostate citizens in his own nation. So the Lord did, in fact, fulfill this request as revealed by the book of Daniel, which records the Lord delivering Daniel's three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their Babylonian names. So Daniel chapter 3 records that these three were executed by Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because they refused to bow down and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar constructed in Daniel chapter 3. So the idea for the image he actually received was from the dream vision he received as recorded in Daniel chapter 2, if you recall. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that the head of this image in his vision uh, dream was represented him. Went right to the guy's head. <laughs> okay? So consequently, the king constructed this image so that he could be the object of worship. And the Lord God of Israel miraculously delivered all three of Daniel's friends from death. Daniel chapter 6 as another instance where God fulfilled Habakkuk's prayer requests for himself and the faithful remnant. Daniel chapter 6 records the Lord God of Israel delivering Daniel from capital punishment as well. And he, at that time, in Daniel chapter 6, he served the Persian king Darius, who was actually a believer. He was in a high cabinet position. Now, how did he get executed? I thought, he, I thought the, Darius was a believer and friends with Daniel. He was. Well, what happened, out of jealousy, and some, I, I've talked to some people over the years, Christians, and at work, and I had this happen to me at work one time. You know, sometimes when you're at work, you get persecuted. If you haven't had that happen to you. Well, out of jealousy, envy, the other officials in this king's cabinet conspired to manipulate him to issue a decree that would bring about the execution of any person in his kingdom who prayed to any god or human being except Darius for 30 days. So Darius was extremely upset, and when he found out about the plot and had to carry out the execution of Daniel. However, the God of Israel answered Habakkuk's prayer and stopped the mouths of the lions, and he was delivered. Show me your magnificent deeds from the past. Do it for us. What did he say? What did he say in Daniel chapter, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2? He says, he says, I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our lifetime, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Well, he did that for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were contemporaries of Habakkuk. Now, can God do that to us? Yes. Yes, he does. In fact, I can tell you many times for myself personally, and you probably have a bunch that you could tell, where God miraculously does things. Now, it's interesting. God doesn't have to go and do like, you know, come out of this guy. God does things in everyday life we don't realize. You know, a certain person comes in. A certain thing is given to you at a certain time, just at the right time. All these kind of things are manifestation of God moving to his people or even unbelievers. So God can be in the everyday affairs of life and do these things. And he loves to do these things for his children when all seems lost. And that is, that's, that's, when you, that's a lot of fun when that happens. Okay? So yeah, he might put you through stuff, but you know what? The great thing you benefit from is that you get to see God's power in action. You can say, how did that happen? 
I've had things like that. How did this happen? I don't, I, I don't even know how this person knew. I don't know how did this happen. I don't know. I was like, what the? You just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Like, let God show you his power. And that's what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. They were doing this. And they, they were beneficiaries of this intercessory prayer, which tells us the importance of intercessory prayer, praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for the non-believer, praying for your country. Do you don't think he's listening to you? He's listening to us. Okay? So the, the conspirators, interesting, the, the conspirators against Daniel and their families were executed by the very same means they plotted to have Daniel executed. The book of Esther also records the Lord demonstrating compassion for the Jews in exile, not only in Babylon, but also while in Persia. We forget about Esther and Mordecai. The book of Esther, a book I, I'm, I'm going to do one day. I love I reading that book. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't have the name of God in it, right? But the providence of God is all over it, right? And you see the principles of that we've been learning in Habakkuk and Haggai. Uh, Lex Telionis, you know, punishment fits the crime. That happened in Daniel's situation where the conspirators were executed by the very same means that they intended for Daniel. Same thing happened in the days of Esther, the Jews living in Persia, okay? So the book of Esther records the Lord demonstrating compassion for the Jews in exile and fulfillment of Habakkuk's prayer. Haman manipulated the wicked Haman. He manipulated the Persian monarch Xerxes to issue a decree to exterminate the Jews, as a result of a Jew, Mordecai, refusing to bow down to honor him. And the Lord raised up Esther, a Jew, to be his instrument in resolving this crisis, who proceeded Xerxes to spare the Jews and have Haman executed on the very gallows that he built for the execution of Mordecai. Esther, she was living in a dangerous position. She could have been executed by going before the king without you know, him asking you to be there. Remember, he just got rid of a queen before, you know, who didn't show up to the party when he asked her to. <laughs> and so he has, she's put, took our life in her hands. And he said, you know, uh, uh, Mordecai said to her, look at, here's where her faith came in. He said, well, if you don't do it, God will raise up somebody else that's going to do it. So she said, well, pray for me. And guess what? It worked out. The great Esther, she was uh, the instrument that God used to fulfill, to, his, to display his compassion and power, okay, and fulfillment of Habakkuk's prayer, okay? So lastly, the Lord demonstrated compassion to the faithful remnant of Judah by moving, this is very important, moving the Persian king Cyrus to fulfill the prophecy he gave to Jer Isaiah to issue a proclamation through, throughout his kingdom to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's armies. That's very interesting. Nehemiah, these kind of books, Daniel, it's very important. Remember, in the ancient world, if your country got destroyed, the people of the world at that time and the Mediterranean, Mesopotamian regions of the world, they believed that their gods defeated your gods. Think about this. So here we go. Babylon comes to defeat Judah. Ah, I got stronger than the Jews got. <laughs> Guess what? Nebuchadnezzar found out firsthand that's not the case. He went to that pagan, wicked pagan ruler. And you'll, let me tell you something. There is no, I think I have one president in mind. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Who comes even close to this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, as a tyrant. We haven't seen anybody like him. Our president has nothing compared to today. is nothing compared to this guy. And this guy was a butcher. He didn't care. Up with your heads. Burn in the fire. He didn't care. He's a tyrant. Nobody ever seen his likes. So here's Daniel and his three friends. And not unknowingly, maybe they, maybe they knew about this intercessory prayer from, that Habakkuk offered up to God just before the Babylonian invasions of the southern kingdom of Judah. We don't know. Maybe he did. Here they are faced with this situation with this tyrant ruler. It did not God move the heart of Nebuchadnezzar? Didn't he? Beca he became a believer. I mean, listen to what his response was when he God when the, when the fourth man in the ring, the preincarnate Christ, shows up in the, in the flames with them, and they're not touched by anything. 
You think those people back in the ancient world weren't scientifically minded or they would just, you know, they just fall for anything? People, are, we call it the, the modern arrogance of men today and women. They're just like us. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They were just like us in our culture. They didn't think you could be safe somebody from the flames like that. But they were, and they will investigate. I don't even smell smoke on the guy. You know, I, I, I smoke a cigar with Pastor Pekin. You can smell cigars on us, you know. And by the way, if you want to get rid of the cigar smoke, I heard, just put the coat out in the front porch and let the wind blow through it. It'll air out the coat, okay? Somebody at a dry cleaning place told me that. Anyways, so the, the, just a little inside tidbit that you get in addition to the message, okay? So here they, <laughs> so here they are, and they, they, not, they, they're untouched. Nebuchadnezzar goes, who is that guy in the ring? Who is that guy in the, in the furnace with them? I thought you'd do three guys in there. All right. So here they are, and the king's heart was, as you see the results, of witnessing it for himself, he believed in the God of Israel. There's nobody like you. I say this because some of us that are doctrinal, or some people who have, forget about doctrinal, but just they think they're, they know the word of God, why in the world do we get so worked up about the present political situation in our country? As if God couldn't do something to move the, the hearts of President Biden and his cabinet? I think my Bible says, yeah, he can. So I'm not afraid of President Biden or any president that comes down the pike, and I'm, afraid, I'm not afraid of Putin or anybody. Who are they? In the, you know, who's in the Psalms or Proverbs? The heart of the king is like channels of water in the Lord's hands. You know, so this is another reason. Let's just, let's just be, let's be just courageous. And, you, you know, people, doctrine, applying doctrine gives you strength and courage to face the impossible. You know, uh, one of the things I can't stand over the years is, you know, the guy, remember Gulliver's Travels? There was always the, oh, we can't make it. I got people in my family like that. I got, I got, I've had guys in my church like that, deacons. Oh, I got to wait for the show to drop. Oh, like, I can't stand that. And you know, I used to couldn't stand is when they're playing ball, football, whatever it was, baseball. Oh, we're out of it. It's like, then get out of here because we're going to win the game. Get out of here. Or we're going to die trying. I can't stand quitters. The game's not over yet. You got another seven innings for crying out loud. I can't tell you how many times... I remember it was a softball game. The guy, I was, it was like, this is the end of my career. At 32 years old, I don't know, I was playing for this NEC dealer. And the great guys. And we, we used to dominate everybody we played. And I would just, and I didn't really hit that good half the time. I was like, I can't hit a softball. Give me a fastball with a baseball and stuff. But I, I hit it all right. But I was a good fielder. But the other thing is, when we were down, I remember one time we were, 20, we were down 20 runs. And it's like, you know, the third inning, and they're all looking at me. I'm looking at him, I go to Bill, he's, he's a little guy, and he was the owner, him and his brother, he's dead now. Great guy. And I go, Bill, you think we can come back and beat him? He goes, I don't know, Bill, he's not looking good. He said, what did you just say? He's like, go as we can, you watch, we'll do it. And it happened. And he's looking hot, he's like, hey, Bill, he said, I've been doing this a long time. You, you're never gonna win if you quit. You know, people become great in the spiritual life because they don't ever quit. How can you quit on a God who could do the impossible? Whatever's going, whatever mountains are your life or my life, what are they? Faith can move mountains. What does he mean by that? Faith, does God want us moving the mountains? I have to say this because some people, you know, they don't understand Jesus doing hyperbole. You know, like the guy, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. I mean, there's guys that pluck out their eyes because a porn, and they can't, they, they, well, I, I gotta get rid of my eyes. Well, you could still fantasize about the girl that you watched, that you watched, and go, that's stupid, right? It's hyperbole for emphasis. So no, he doesn't want you to move the mountains, he likes where they are. He's gonna move them again. We'll see that in the second session. Oh, he's gonna move them again. No, he, he, he's trying to tell you, whatever you got, nothing can stop his power. When he's made up his mind to do it, it's good as done. And these men, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, and Mordecai, they knew it firsthand. And we can too. The same God 
that stopped the mouths of the lion in Daniel's den or protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the flames. Okay? And the same God that delivered the Jews in Persia in the days of Xerxes is the same God of us. He's our God. He is that God. The God of the Old Testament is not dead. He's very much alive in every single one of us. So that's the message that we have here. So another, and this is related to a book we studied, Haggai. Haggai records the Lord promising to bless this faithful remnant as a result of obeying his command to rebuild the temple. And the book of Ezra and Haggai record the faithful remnant rebuilding this temple. And the book of Nehemiah answering Nehemiah's prayer to move Artaxerxes to let him return to Jerusalem with the other Jews to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And through great adversity, the city was built, was rebuilt. Adversity is a good thing. You might not like to go through it, but that builds character. There's a book I, there's a, a lot of times I'll follow my uh, Western Bible Ministries, you know, on Facebook. The only thing, I, I post stuff on Facebook. I've done it a couple, last couple of days, but there's a book I have called The Streams of the Desert. I think the guy's name's Coward or something like that. And, uh, People love that book. You know, all the people who love it are the people who are going through adversity in their life. And some woman goes, why do you always post on that stuff? It's always like talking about suffering and stuff, is it? Well, I can identify with it. <laughs> I'm going through some things, and so other people who identify with it. What, is your life a highway? I didn't say that in that tone of voice to her, but it's like, yeah, because people identify with it. I enjoy it. It helps me. Because I go through crisis, and, and as a pastor, if the, if the pastor doesn't have any going, crisis going on in his life, there's something wrong. There's always something going on in my life. And I, Pastor Pete could say that about himself, too, and other pastors throughout history. Talk to them sometime. Or the ones that are not in apostasy. That, that's part of the ballgame. That's what we signed up for. So I love that book because it talks about people, adversity, and suffering, and how God lifted them through this whole thing. And the great thing about adversity, one, you get to real glorify God through your life as you appropriate God's power by obeying his word and having faith in his word. You become empathetic. The great thing about adversity, it makes you empathetic to people and their suffering. A doctrinal believer should not be like a cold-hearted person. They're very compassionate. One of the things that struck me in doctrinal ministry, right? This ministry, when I walked in, how compassionate everybody was, starting from the past on down, buddy. That's right. I was like, ah. Because I've seen some doctrinal ministries, and they're not compassionate at all. It's like they have no empathy for people. Not this one. This was, I never had that to be the case. So that is very important. So that shows that they're applying the doctrine, which was a good sign for me when I saw it. And so here is, this is the... <laughs> We're empathetic. We learned, we get to grow spiritually. Didn't our Lord go through suffering himself? Yes. Undeserved suffering. He didn't bring it on himself. He suffered for us, for what we did. God will, God will take this suffering that, suffering that we didn't bring on ourselves, and he will bring glory to himself through your life. Here's another thing. If you're going through suffering, there are times, like in Job, his friends didn't understand what was going on. That Satan was putting him on, the tr on trial. You know, you, you take away his, his health and his family and everything. He lost everything, his business, his family, he kept his wife. Okay? And nobody knew what he was going through. Nobody knew that the devil was taking him on. And God was saying, yeah, you can go after him. Just don't kill him. But nobody, his friends didn't understand that he was actually, and neither did Job. He didn't know that after the fact until that Satan and God were having this thing. And God honored him by putting him on the, on, on, on the witness stand as a, as a witness for the prosecution and Satan's rebuttal phase of his appeal trial, which is human history. So he must be, he must be doing something wrong. We're going to be suffering. He, you might, and that's what they said. That's what the, a lot of people in the ancient world said. Oh, He's suffering here, do or her, she's doing that. It must be something that they did. That's presumptuous. Like Job's, Job's three friends, that's presumptuous. They might be 
They might be some spiritual giant that you're not even aware of because you're too blind and she can't see. You're passing judgment. Don't judge by appearances. So you might be one of those people that nobody understands. It looks, it looks like you're. It might have said something you did. No, they, don't worry about it. If people feel that way, that's on them. God is the only one you need to be concerned about. God knows where, where, what, who you are, what you're going through. So don't be, don't be worried about what other people think. Because most people judge by appearances. Not a righteous judgment, as Jesus said. So, we must remember now, people, that the Lord told Habakkuk, and Habakkuk 2.4, this is where faith comes in, okay? He told Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4, that this faithful remnant of Judah, that he was a part of, must walk by faith in the Lord and his promises. The reason for this is that faith and the Lord's promises, commands, prohibitions, would appropriate, that means take possession of his omnipotence, of his power to deliver them. And this faith was demonstrated in the lives of Daniel and his three friends, as well as Esther and Mordecai, as we pointed out. Didn't it say in Habakkuk 2.4 of my translation, look, the Babylonians characterized as being proud and arrogant. His soul within him is by no means characterized as being upright. However, in contrast to him, a righteous person, that's a believer, declared justified through faith in Jesus, will live by means of their faith. Faith in what? The word of God. That's what. You know, people talk about, we got to keep the faith. Okay, who? Who, who, who are we having faith in? You know? Oh, we got to pray. Who are you praying to? I'm praying to the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's who I'm praying to. That's who I care about. That's who I'm having my faith in. And they're the words right here, right in the Bible. Cover to cover, there's power. Not the pages themselves, but the, what's the message in the, the spirit, the word of God. It's not just a, the Bible's just not a piece of, piece of paper, pages in a, in a book. Its word is living, alive, and powerful. God spoke it. If God speaks it, we must obey it and trust what he says, despite what the circumstances might say. Despite what the circumstances might say in your life. Okay? Let me tell you a story. There was a kid talking about, uh, you know, people not understanding that you're in a certain situation and they think that you did, you, people think that you did wrong. I know this couple and they were very, very conscientious about raising their children a godly fashion. So one of their children committed a suicide. So people say, oh, they must have done something wrong. Well, I don't know any parent that hasn't done anything wrong. All parents are, have made mistakes. They're all, nobody's perfect. But imagine how terrible that they might, people would think that. When in reality, they were so conscientious. Did they make mistakes? Yes. But not to, not to justify him killing himself. Okay? So in those situations, you hang on to God with dear, right, dear, life, uh, dear life. Faith, trust in his word, hang on to him. So it says, in contrast to the Babylonian, a righteous person will live by means of their faith. Now, as we noted in the third and final request in Habakkuk 3.2, the prophet Habakkuk requests that the Lord God of Israel would de demonstrate compassion to the faithful remnant of Judah while he exercised his wrath against these apostate citizens in his nation. Now the fact that God informs Habakkuk that he will indeed judge the individuals in his nation who are unrepentantly disobedient to the law as well as the Babylonians, is an expression of his righteous indignation and thus a manifestation of his holiness. As we also noted earlier, the third and final request, Habakkuk asked the Lord to exercise compassion to the faithful remnant of Judah while he exercises his wrath against the apostates in his nation. Compassion, what is that? Pertains, it, compassion pertains to the intense desire... <coughs> Excuse me. Let me get a drink of water. Before I kill myself there. Compassion it pertains to the intense desire. This is called sucking it up. <laughs> Compassion pertains to the intense desire to act or alleviate the pain and suffering of another or remove its cause. You know, like your mother, right? 
She, I don't know any mother, that, in, 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 it's a normal mother, okay, who wouldn't do any, or father, who would do anything to suffer for their kid. It's like my father. You know, my mother's got dementia and she doesn't know, you know, she doesn't know who I am anymore or anybody anymore. So, when Ke thank God that Kenny, he didn't get to see Kenny. And I remember going into the, in the you know, I, I heard about it, you know, because they had it. He, he had uh, the tumor here, and he worked in a hazardous waste thing for years. It's probably where he got it. It was aggressive cancer. So they, they, they had to remove his jaw. They were going to do it initially, and they decided not to because he was responding to chemo and radiation. So it's getting a year later. You know, it came back really quick after the chemo and radiation. They say, oh, this is not good. Because I talked to him, you think it's back already? He says, yeah, because they usually tell you three, four months, see in a road, down the road. It doesn't. It comes right back. He, he knows it's back. like... I didn't know what to say to him. On the, I was on the phone. I was like, and because uh, I was in Massachusetts, but I was out driving around the car. And I just said, I wonder how he's doing. So they end up going to surgery, and they have to pull the jar out. They put another bone in his, in his shoulder thing and put it here. And it's a radical surgery, and there's so many things that go wrong with it. Now, he told me, and my friend Vaughn told me about it. He was a doctor. He said, I've seen those surgeries. I don't want to do I wouldn't want to do one of those. So, is it, so when they do that, if it comes back, you got no lymph nodes. And that's gonna, if it doesn't come, if it comes back and you don't have any lymph nodes, guess what? The face blows up with the tumors. And that's happened to him. So I, I hear about this, and I was like, oh gosh. So I gotta go, I come back and see him. And I was a couple, couple times I came back. I go back to see him. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, oh, preparing myself. So he was great. I mean, he was, he was a pillar of strength. And the uh, great thing about it is I talked to him before he had the surgery. I just was on my, I had a feeling, so, you know. I don't know what it was. The Holy Spirit. I talked to him and his wife for a long time, the, the day before the surgery. So I was really good. And I talked to him before that, too. So I'm sitting there, and I got to prepare myself. So now I got my brother Chris with me, I think Jimmy, and then uh, myself. I don't think anybody in that room, when they saw him, they say, I would do anything to trade places with you, Kenny. It was just so upsetting to see that big, strong guy who was the best athlete in the family, handsomest in the family, and here he is, you know, and he was tough as nails. And he, the doctor even told me, he went through all kinds of stuff because we, we, he wouldn't respond. And every single one of us would do anything to help our brother. You'd do the same thing for your kids. And you're your brother or sister. You're, just, you're all the same. Like, uh, anybody would do that in their family, right? That's the kind of thing we're talking about with compassion. Intense desire to act to alleviate the pain and suffering of another or remove its cause. That's how every believer in the body of Christ should be. Think about Jesus Christ. He was willing to suffer in our place. You don't have a greater act of compassion than that. We were going to the lake of fire along with the devil and his angels. And rightly so, because we, we're sinners and he's a holy God. But he was willing to suffer. His compassion drove him to suffer in our place. I'd rather suffer the wrath of God for them on the cross and all the crucifixion and the scourgings, which he went through too. I'll go through that gladly so that they won't have to suffer that for the lake of fire. Because I'm compassionate. I intensely desire to alleviate their pain and suffering, which is caused by sin and the devil. That's the way Christians are supposed to be. They have to reflect that compassion, which is an expression of the love of God. So we must be aware. And will, we must be aware of this, and I'll close. We must be aware of the fact that the Lord God of Israel manifested his attribute of love by demonstrating compassion to the faithful remnant of Judah in the 7th and 6th century B.C.s because of the unconditional promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, people, the Lord demonstrated compassion to Israel because he made promises to them in the Abrahamic, Palestinian, Davidic, and New Covenants that guaranteed the survival of the nation. These promises, these covenants, unconditional, unconditional means they require, these unconditional covenants means the, the fulfillment of these covenants are based upon the faithfulness of God, not the Jews. The Mosaic Law was a conditional one. But the Abrahamic, Palestinian, the land covenant, 
Davidic and New Covenants, they're all based upon the faithfulness of God. So God tied himself. That's why he delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt. This is why he delivered her from the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians. And he'll, del he'll survive her, uh, deliver her from Russia, which is going to invade Israel one day in the future. We'll talk about that in the day of the Lord. And from Hamas. He's going to preserve the nation because he made promises and he keeps his promises. Another reason why you and I should trust in our God because he always keeps his promises. People will let you down. They're sinners. Don't expect perfection. But God, he always keeps his promises. And that you can hang your hat on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this lesson will be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your great, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.